Julian had already told a dozen people that she had given me an alibi by calling Albert Einstein Medical Center. There was no secret about that. Well, Mr. Durst, you know that she had told people now, but you didn't know that then. Isn't it true, Mr. Durst, that you are dead caught in a giant lie right now and you have no idea what to say? Object to the, the, answer the question. No, 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 and no. I hope I haven't disappointed you as a friend, Bobby. All love and gratitude for friendship over the years. I feel like I'm being asked to analyze myself. I did what I did because I did what I did because I am who I am. Welcome back to season two of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. I'm joined by my co-host, Brittany Bookbinder. On Tuesday, August 24th, John Lewin commenced his fourth day of cross-examination, eliciting even more whirlwind testimony from defendant Robert Durst. Yet again, Durst's remarks on the stand contained a baffling amount of apparent inconsistencies. John Lewin summed up the state of affairs during an afternoon break. Let's face it, Your Honor. Jury's not here. He's committed more perjury than I've ever seen in my life. There's so much perjury that when I'm impeaching him about perjury, he commits more perjury. Tuesday was one of the most dramatic days in court we've seen, with exchanges between defendant and prosecutor firing on all cylinders. In this episode, we're going to explore all of the most outlandish and also the most legally impactful moments, with a focus on John Lewin's endeavors to prove Durst had motives to kill both Morris Black and Susan Berman. That's coming up after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the morning, John Lewin presented Robert Durst with a letter that Susan Berman wrote to the defendant on November 5th, 2000. The letter says, Dearest Bobby, I just wanted you to know how much I appreciated the two times you helped me and what a wonderful friend you've been, like the brother I never had uh, over the 30-odd years. I'm sorry I even had to ask the last time and ever, Bobby. You know that our friendship was never about money. I'm so sorry that I've been struggling these last few years and I hope to see you someday again. I don't want my last request to be the last time we communicate. Our friendship means so much to me, Bobby. I hope you forgive me for not keeping pace with your more successful life. I am still hoping to turn everything around so I will be able to repay you. Miraculously, I am still in my house, not that I want to be, but I have nowhere to move. I have to keep my three dogs, Lulu is already 12. They have become my family as a domestic harmony uh, has been the one area of life that I've never been able to get quite right. Anyway, my Showtime deal went to the next step just in the nick of time. Now it looks like it will go to pilot, but I won't know until February. Anyway, she will get me out under the landlord moving in rule, but this buys me three more months 
and then maybe I'll be going to pilot and I'll have the money to move. Fingers crossed. As you know, LA has an almost 0% occupancy rate and it's not as easy to find a place anymore that takes dogs. And if it goes to series in May, I'd probably be moving to Toronto. Showtime shoots most of its TV series there. Pitching another Vegas series, this time to FX in December, younger demographics. Also, writing a book, Rich Girl Broke, a meditation on money, kind of a memoir about going broke. Almost done with the 40 book uh, page book proposal, sending you my prologue, thought it might amuse you. I may have to come to New York to get a new agent because I don't know if it's the type of thing my agent, Owen Laster, at William Morris will spark to sending it, will spark to sending it to him this week. Already told him about it. It would be nice after the first of the year. I'm sure I would be shocked by the change in New York. Haven't been there since the Dreyfus workshop. Can you slow down a little bit, please? Life, so many ups and downs, Bobby, and always the unforeseen. Naturally, I'm wave thin and on Prozac from the lack of security and no feeling of well-being about the future. But I feel strong and I work every day trying to turn this around. I'm sure I sent you the outline for the Showtime pilot already. I'll send you the script when it's done. Remember, I don't get to write it, just co-create. If I sell the FX, I'm now at the level where I can co-write the pilot. Climbing up the rungs of TV takes forever and I never watch it. I'm a book person. You're only one of three people in New York that I've kept in touch with. Julie Baumgold, Baumgold, who you introduced me to and who I love, and Florian. Oh, Florian and her 27-year-old son, Jason, who worked at Donaldson Lufkin, etc., started a dot-com. It's a business to consumer, whatever that means, and they raise the money. It's not up and running yet, but will be soon. Very proud of Florian. Remember her? She lived at the Croydon. Lorraine is still my best friend out here, and remember Nina Feinberg. I live in her place at the Park Wellington. She's become a very successful sitcom producer and has a sitcom running about her own life, the Gina Davis Show. Nina married Ted Wass, who had two kids, so it's on that angle. 30-ish career woman becomes an instant mother. I hope I haven't disappointed you as a friend, Bobby. All love and gratitude for friendship over the years. Do you remember getting this, this letter, Mr. Durst? Yes, I remember very well getting over it. And this occurred, um, it was sent November 5th, and you would agree this is after you were aware of the reinvestigation, is that right? Okay. So you got this letter, and Susan is telling you right at the beginning that she's in an ex extreme situation financially, is that right? I have a good letters, And she says to you, she apologizes for having to ask for money, but thanks you for having done that, correct? Now, she does not actually directly ask you for money in this letter, does she? She's asking for money. Well, can you tell me where specifically she said in this letter, Bobby, send me money? She's asking for money. You can't read the letter and come to any conclusion. The letter made me feel very bad. John Lewin then asked Durst about the actions he took as a result of feeling bad for Susan. In the process, Durst produced a bit of surprising and potentially incriminating testimony. Right, so what Susan was doing, agreed Mr. Durst, is rather than asking you directly for money, she was telling you she's in a bad financial situation and you've always been a good friend, and you responded by writing her a check for 25 grand, correct? 
I don't recall. I wrote her a check. I don't recall how much it was for. So let's put it up. This is a check dated November 9th for $25,000. That's right after you got the letter, correct? Correct. I want you to assume that Susan Berman had, in fact, made the phone call to Dean Cooperman. Would you agree that at this time, when you now find out they're reinvestigating it, that you would have had a substantial concern that Susan, with her big mouth, might say something if she was contacted by investigators? Is that a fair statement? Susan has already told a dozen people, or 15 people, or 18 people, that she had given me an alibi by calling Albert Einstein Medical Center. There was no secret about that. Well, Mr. Durst, you know that she had told people now, but you didn't know that then. I knew some of them. Wait, so you knew before Susan had been murdered that she had told people that you had called Albert Einstein, that she had called Albert Einstein pretending to be Kathy at your request? I knew that Susan Berman had told people that she telephoned Albert Einstein at my request. And how did you know that? I think I heard it from both Julie Baumgold and Nick Chavin. And when did you find out about that? I think Julie said something to me a long, long time before Susan Berman died. Like maybe five years before, Nick Chavin said something not that long before Susan Berman died. Building upon Durst's statements, Lewin questioned the defendant's reason for giving money to a woman who was allegedly lying about him murdering his wife. Now, Mr. Durst, can you explain why, if Susan Berman for years was telling your mutual friends that you were a murderer, why you continued to give her money? Can you explain that? You're asking me. I knew she was saying those things, and I did give her money. Mr. Durst, exactly. Does that sound reasonable? Well, I did it. It's either reasonable or unreasonable, but it's factual that I did do it. You would agree that nobody is disputing that you gave Susan the money? Yes, I would agree that no one is disputing that I gave Susan Berman money. Would you agree that the issue is not whether you gave her money, it's why you gave her money? Would you agree? No, I don't even think it's an issue. I gave her money because I felt like giving her money. You felt like giving somebody a total of $275,000 who for years was telling your mutual friends falsely that you had murdered your wife and she had helped you cover it up. Is that your testimony to this jury today? I started giving Susan Berman money before Cassie disappeared. Well, Mr. Durst, we know that you gave her $50,000 by your own admission the last month of her life, basically, correct? Correct. And by that time, Mr. Durst, you were well aware for years that she had been telling people you say falsely that you murdered your wife and that she helped you cover it up, correct? Correct. Why would you give somebody money who was out there saying that you had murdered your wife? 
I feel like I'm being asked to analyze myself. I did what I did because I did what I did because I am who I am. In the afternoon, the prosecutor inquired about a place where Robert Durst was not always who he appeared to be, Galveston, Texas. Would you agree, Mr. Durst, that you told Morris Black that you were basically hiding in Galveston because you did not want to be Robert Durst anymore, correct? Correct. And you told him that that was your name, correct? Correct. And you ended up telling him that you were wealthy, correct? I think he figured out I was wealthy. And the conversations we had when I talked about traveling first class. And you would agree, Mr. Durst, that Morris Black was somebody who was very into figuring out what somebody's kind of story was, who they were, what was motivating them. You don't think that describes Morris Black? No. And you said that as far as you know, you never mentioned anything about the situation with your missing wife, correct? Correct. Mr. Durst, do you remember the other day during direct examination mentioning, this is a paraphrase, you told Morris Black all about Janine Pirro? No. One moment. Do we have that queued up and ready to go? When was the first time he saw you as Bob Durst? And not as Dorothy Siner with the wig. Sometime in March or April. All right. Did he make any remarks about that? I told him that I sometimes wore a disguise as a woman because I just did not want to be me. And he said he went through that a while ago. In other words, not wanting to be you, not wanting to be Bob Durst. Did you explain to him why you didn't want to be Bob Durst? Primarily because of Janine Pirro. Well, you said it, correct, Mr. Durst? I said it. Well, so that means, Mr. Durst, that Morris Black was well aware who you were, what you were running from, and that you were very concerned about being charged in New York with your wife's murder, correct? No, not correct. Please explain, Mr. Durst, since you just said in response to your lawyer's question, not mine, to your lawyer's question, that you explained all about Janine Pirro. What did that mean? That that misstates the the evidence that was just on the screen. Object to the form of the question. Garen? Didn't say anything about all about. It's the evidence and the inferences one can draw from the evidence that make a question appropriate. Your objection is overruled. I don't think it would have been possible to explain to Morris Black about a Westchester district attorney charging me with murder in order to get publicity to run for attorney general. Morris Black was just not like that. Well, Mr. Durst, all it would have taken for you to explain it are the words you just said. Would you agree? But he was not like that. Mr. Durst, you testified under oath that you told Morris Black about Janine Pirro. What did you tell him? 
I don't remember telling him about Janine Pirro. Well, you remember telling about Janine Pirro last week with Mr. DeGarren, correct? Correct. Isn't it true, Mr. Durst, that you are dead caught in a giant lie right now and you have no idea what to say? Object to the, the form of the question. No, 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 and no. The objection's overruled. The sure. answer may stand. Please listen to my question. You have said that you explained to Morris Black why you did not want to be Robert Durst anymore. Is that correct? Correct. And you said when asked, did you tell him why? And your response was primarily because of Janine Pirro. That's what you said, correct? Correct. Please explain that answer to Mr. DeGuerin, which took place within the last week. You want me to explain it to Dick DeGuerin? Is that what you really think I just asked you? Please explain that answer to Dick DeGuerin, which took place within the last week. Yes, Mr. Durst, please explain the answer you gave to Dick DeGuerin. Not right now, please explain it to Mr. DeGuerin. Are you stalling for time right now? Is that what this is about? I'm just stalling for time. I'm in jail. Overruled. He asked the witness if he's stalling for time. The witnesses. Mr. Durst, isn't it true that you That's realize right. right now. Will you please read it back to me? I'm not stalling for time. I'm in jail. Mr. Durst, isn't it true that you're sitting there right now and your heart's racing and you're trying to figure out how you can get out of a big, giant mess up. No. So is it your version, Mr. Durst, that you told Morris Black that you were dressing as a woman because you didn't want to be Robert Durst anymore and that you then told him it was primarily because of Janine Pirro, but you didn't explain who Janine Pirro was and he didn't ask who Janine Pirro was. Is that your testimony? Correct. Does that make sense to you, Mr. Durst, in the way that people have conversations, that you would give that response and that Morris Black would not ask you the question, well, who's Janine Pirro? Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me, and it is what happened. Let me ask you, Mr. Durst, let's assume you're lying right now. Let's, let's assume, assume I'm telling the truth right now. Well, that can, be, that can be a hypothetical the defense gives you. That's not my hypothetical. Let's assume you're lying right now. Would, it's your heart that's racing, not mine. Listen to my question. Let's assume, Mr. Durst, that you're lying about that. That, in fact, you did explain to Morris Black who Janine Pirro was. Would you tell this jury that? If I am lying about whatever he says I'm lying about, I would tell you. But I am not lying about whatever it is he's talking about. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi. 
As Lewin walked Durst through his time in Galveston, Durst testified that Morris Black wasn't the only one in the small town who knew his identity. The defendant disclosed relationships with two other individuals, women whose names had not been mentioned before, even in the BD story, a document prepared by Durst and his defense in preparation for his Galveston trial. Would you agree, Mr. Durst, that Morris Black was the one person in Galveston who could connect your name, Robert Durst, with where you were living at the apartment? I would disagree with that. Who else? Two bankers who I dated. Who were they? Two tellers from Bank of America who I quote unquote dated. Who you dated? Did you say dated, D-A-T? Dated, dated, yeah, went to dinner. Two different tellers? Two different tellers. Wait, was this a date with the two tellers and you, or is this separate dates? No, these were two separate dates with two separate tellers at two different restaurants. Who were these tellers? Who were they? Were their names? Yeah, what are their names? One was Jessica something or other, and the other was Barbara Noose. And have you ever mentioned either of these women? Oh, this has never come up. So it's your testimony that these women knew who you were and where you were living. Knew my name and knew where I was living. We went to my apartment. When you took, when they went to your apartment, were they dating Dorothy Siner or were they dating Bob Durst? They were dating Bob Durst. And when did this occur? When was this? I'm thinking about it. Are you thinking about it or are you making it up? I am thinking about it. Okay, go ahead. We'll wait. So this would have been in March or April of 2000, no, of 2001. And if we go to March and April in 2001, will it mention in the BD story how these were two people who could connect you and your name to Galveston? Well, they were tellers. I met them when I withdrew money from my Bank America account. Well, they were more than tellers. You were apparently dating them and having them over, correct? I don't know what you mean they were more than tellers. They were tellers. That's what their job was. So, Mr. Durst, would you agree a teller is somebody that you go to the bank and deal with, correct? Correct. A date is someone you go out with, correct? Correct. If there is a teller that you also take on a date, would you agree they would be more than just a teller? I would not have, have the faintest idea what you're saying. What I'm saying, Mr. Durst, is that these are not just people you're running into in the bank. You're saying you're dating these women, correct? Yes, I took two, went to dinner once with each of two women. And I'm asking you, are these women noted in the BD story? I have no idea. Do you want me to run through the BD story, Mr. Durst, or are you going to agree that their names do not show up in the BD? I don't care what you do. So I'm going to ask you, because it's up to you. We can spend the time flipping through the whole BD story, or you can agree that their names are not in the BD story. Which is it? You're supposed to be prosecuting me. I'm not supposed to prosecute myself. 
And I will repeat again what I said. I don't care what you do. You would agree, Mr. Durst, that even if you're saying the two tellers that you dated, by the way, did you have sexual relationships with these tellers? Did you have sex with either of these women? No. How many dates did you go on with them? One. And were the dates how far apart? A month. Which one did you date first? Jessica. You don't remember Jessica's last name? No. So, what was the date? What was your name? No, what was the date? You took her out, you brought her back to your very small apartment? She picked me up in her car at my apartment, and we went out to dinner. Where'd you go? A crab place. And afterwards you came back to your apartment? No. Did she come inside your apartment? When she picked me up, she came inside. And it's, it's your statement under oath that these two dates happened, is that correct? All right, let's let's move on. In closing out the day, John Lewin returned to asking Durst about the existential threats that Susan Berman and Morris Black posed to his freedom. All right, let's talk about the conversation you had with Susan Berman near the time of her death, where she told you that she had been contacted by New York investigators who wanted to talk to her about Kathy's disappearance. Do you recall that conversation with her? I don't think she said New York investigators. All right, please play. But you heard from her that she had been contacted by the police? Yes. What did she say, if you remember? He said, the Los Angeles police contacted me. They want to talk to me about Susie Berman. I think I and you are going to be best off if I just talk to them. She said they want to talk to me about Susie Berman. I'm sorry. Susie Berman said the police have contacted, the Los Angeles police have contacted me. They want to talk to me about your, or Kathy Durst's disappearance. Mm -hmm. And this was probably before the PR guy told me that the newspapers are doing these articles. Now, at the time that Susan Berman told you that, you believed it to be true, correct? I believed it was Susan telling me something. Everything Susan said was kind of a 50-50. It might be true, it might not be true. Again, Mr. Durst, would you agree, if you did kill your wife, and if Susan did assist you, that the idea of Susan Berman with her big mouth talking to the police, you would agree that would have represented an existential threat to you? Correct? You seem to think that all these people are existential threats. Susan Berman, Morris Black. Well they, well, they both ended up dead. Would you agree? I would agree they both ended up dead. So again, would you agree, Mr. Durst, that both Susan Berman and Morris Black were existential threats to you? No. Would you, uh, would you agree that they both ended up dead in very bizarre incidents. They both ended up dead. Would you agree, Mr. Durst, that you're in the wrong place at the wrong time with respect to both of their deaths? Absolutely. And would you agree, Mr. Durst, that 
your wife going missing doesn't help your situation. What is my situation? What is your situation? Your situation is, Mr. Durst, you're a man whose wife disappeared, where you are the chief suspect, where Susan Berman is telling numerous people that you killed her and that she helped cover up by calling the dean, where Susan Berman told you she was going to talk to the police, where you have testified that you were aware that she told you that, where she ends up getting murdered with her brains blown out in her house, where you find the body, and then you also end up being in Galveston, living as a mute woman across the apartment from Morris Black, who's one of the only people in Galveston who knows who you are and can connect you up to that location. And he's allegedly gonna end up pulling your own gun with you and being shot, and then you're going to admittedly dismember him and dump the body parts. That is the situation you are in, Mr. Durst. Would you agree that that is an untenable situation you're in? Objection to the long narrative in front of the question, Your Honor, it's just not proper. Mr. Durst, listen to my question. You would agree that whether or not you killed Kathy, whether or not you murdered Susan, whether or not you murdered Morris Black, that there is a lot of evidence in this case that is very difficult for you to account for. Object to the question. No, overruled. But uh, I was hoping you were getting more specifically to in this situation. Right. Can you yeah. can you answer that this question, or then I'll yes. move to the yes. specific. Yes. Can you answer my question, Mr. Durst? I thought I was supposed to wait until the judge finished speaking, and I heard Judge Whitman say he'd like some specifics. It's it's Judge Windham. It's not Judge Whitman. Okay, thank you. He's sorry. It's okay. You may uh, you call me anything. <laughs> call me your honor and you're safe. <laughs> Joining us again is Charlie Bagley, who's covering the trial for the New York Times and for CrimeStory.com. Welcome back, Charlie. Hey, I'm happy to be here. This was quite a day. It started with a letter. John Lewin read to Bob Durst the letter that Susan Berman sent to him telling Bob about everything she was working on, but also making clear that she was in dire financial straits. What was your experience of hearing that letter in the courtroom and of Bob's reaction to it? I knew that Susan had really struggled for for weeks, if not months, to compose that letter. She had already gotten one check from Bob and here she was asking for more support, another $25,000 check. What the exact number is doesn't really matter, but she was asking again for money. And she was so scared that it would rupture their friendship. And so she agonized over every sentence and she went back and forth with her friends on, well, should I say this? And how can I do that? Whether to send it. And she just lays it all out there. She was in really devastating shape financially. I thought it, it was a, sort of a heartrending rendition of her state of affairs, which had really, really declined. She was barely hanging on. And it coincided with the existential threat to Bob that 
the opening of the reinvestigation into Kathy's disappearance that was happening in Westchester County, led by the Westchester County DA, Janine Pirro, at the time. And Lewin moved on at one point to reminding Bob that he testified when being questioned by his own lawyer that Bob had told Morris Black that his problems and the reason for him going to Galveston was the whole Janine Pirro thing. Brittany, what was your response when you heard that line of questioning and Durst's response to it? I couldn't believe that his strategy seems to be, in this moment and in others, just flatly denying what we have already seen. Anytime Lewin is able to play back a clip from direct examination, which you know feels like a long time ago, but really was just a few days back, and entirely contradicting what Bob is saying. I can't tell how much of this is Bob's strategy. Is he really just trying to amuse himself? Or is he slipping? Is he really forgetting which version of events he's told? And certainly, it was such a short moment on direct, but it did absolutely sound like what he was saying then was that he had, in fact, told Morris Black about Janine Pirro. Oh, I, I'm absolutely certain of that. You know, one of the other things he said was that uh, uh, he talked about, you know, going to the library because there you could get on a computer and, and see what was happening with the investigation back in New York. But both he and Morris went to the uh, Rosenberg Library together. I, I went to the library, you know, 18 years ago uh, during the trial and, and talked with library officials. And uh, yes, Morris ultimately was kicked out of the library, but the, the idea was they both were going there. Charlie, wasn't one of the implications of them going to the library that Morris Black was looking Robert Durst up on the web and reading all this stuff about him? Well, we know that Morris did go to the library. And what else would he be doing but looking up what's going on? And, and he did go to that charity and talk to them about his, his eyeglass program and that he had a friend that might be able to fund it. So he knew who Bob was. He knew that he came from money. Let's turn to what I think the most mesmerizing part of the day, which was Robert Durst's admission that three different people, two of whom we'd never heard of before, or we had never heard had made this statement before, told Bob that Susan was telling them that she knew that Bob had killed Kathy and that she provided an alibi for Bob by calling the Albert Einstein Medical School and pretending to be Kathy. What was the vibe in the courtroom, Charlie, when Bob admitted to that? I have not encountered anyone that said that Bob knew that Susan was whispering to one confidant or another about her role in providing an alibi for Bob. It just doesn't make sense because Bob here is scared to death about this investigation going on back in Westchester. It caused him to promptly pack his bags and move to Galveston, Texas into a $300 a month room. Yet, he's also got Susan telling him that, hey, uh, I've heard from investigators and you know they're going to want to talk to me. Why in the world would he be okay with Susan whispering to every friend she knows that uh, she provided an alibi for Bob's murder of his wife. Brittany, what was your feeling about that line of questioning and Bob's answers to it? 
I was in disbelief. If all of those things are true, if he knew that Susan was telling people at the time, it doesn't add up for me, him saying that, well, she was a storyteller. I didn't really believe the things that she said. We've seen that the news of the reinvestigation getting to him was the spark that changed the entire course of this part of his life, that everything has gone completely downhill for him as a result of the way that he reacted to that news. It is completely out of step to say, oh, I wasn't worried about it. I I thought that was maybe one of the most damning things he's said on the stand. Let's move on to all of the rigmarole about the BD story. Earlier in the trial, Bob stood up in court and said, I did not write the BD story. It was as the prosecution was entering the BD story into evidence. And then also in the course of talking about the BD story and talking about his time in Texas and talking about the existential threat that Morris Black might have been to him, he was asked, well, did anybody else know your real identity in Galveston besides Morris Black? And Durst said that there were these two bank tellers that he dated. And that was a out of the blue thing that nobody had actually heard before. Had you heard of that before, Charlie? No, no. You know, and I was in Galveston. I, I That was not on anyone's mind. I don't think Bob was dating at all in Galveston. I was sort of thunderstruck by that one. That's the thing we love about Bob Durst. Uh, some people think less is more. He thinks more is more. You know, one sailboat doesn't check out. That's okay. We've got two. And there's always multiple keys. Let's end today by talking about one of the final exchanges of the day. Robert Durst referencing Judge Wyndham as Judge Whitman, reprising a malapropism that he used in his letter to the judge earlier in the summer. Where do we think Robert Durst is right now? What's his morale like? Charlie, where do you think he is? The last couple of days, I'd say he looks a, a little battered. Um, he, he's, in the beginning, he got off a couple of good quips, but I, I think he's been reeling a little bit. And his lawyers are just having a hell of a time trying to manage it. Brittany, what about you? What do you think? Oh, it's hard to tell. I think back to Galveston and his ploys to seem sympathetic to the jury and sitting in that lower chair. Is this all part of an act? On the other hand, Charlie, I think you're absolutely right. He does look worse for wear. And I can't imagine that this is easy on anybody. You know, he's getting up at 4 a.m. It's a very tiring day. And, you know, it's a lot of questioning. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, I I still think that At the end of the day, the message I'm getting from Robert Durst on the stand is nobody's going to try to explain me. Nobody's going to try to pigeonhole me. And I did what I did. And I don't have to explain it to you or anybody else. And to Robert Durst, that's enough of a defense. In that sense, Carrie, I, I think you're saying he's reverting to type. Because we know this guy from his life that he didn't have to follow the rules, that he would burp in public in in social situations. He'd light up a joint in social situations. He would do whatever it was that he wanted and then be amused by other people's reactions to what he did, as if he stood above them all on privilege, basically, on his class privilege. That's a really good point, Charlie. And I think that's a good place for us to end today. We'll be back with our next episode after the next day of testimony here on the podcast, Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst.
Please remember that you can receive alerts and news breaks on developments in Robert Durst's murder trial, as well as new episodes of Season 2 of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, by subscribing now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to refresh your memory on where the prosecution and defense are heading with their arguments in the trial, go back and re-listen to episodes from Season 1. And head over to CrimeStory.com for in-depth coverage of the Durst story. Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Molly Miller. It was edited by Molly Miller and Alexis Bartolo, with help from Brittany Bookbinder. It was co-produced by Molly Miller, Alexis Bartolo, and Brittany Bookbinder. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst.